0: Well, good morning. It's so great to be here. Um, we are from Adelaide and it's lovely to come up here for a week. We're here on holiday to enjoy your warm weather. It's great being given a coffee, though. That's pretty awesome. But it is so much warmer up here and so it is lovely. And it's great to come up and, and visit friends and uh, stay um, at Party Central at Trent and Karen's house. It's been a great time. I'd love to start by just, uh, bringing much love and blessing from Marion Vineyard down in Adelaide in South Australia. Uh, they just send their love your way and, uh, praying every blessing over you this morning. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to be part of the family. Um, well, this morning I'm, talking and I know it's been a bit preempted that I'll be talking about the trinity it's something I studied when I was doing my masters and uh it's it's a joy to speak about because it's it's uh, just immerses you in the goodness of god and is is awesome have you ever noticed that when you meet someone or see someone straight away even you can't really help yourself but you start forming an opinion about them someone walks into the room and you start to start to think about what they might be like. And based on that opinion, you will, um, you know, treat them in a certain way, talk to them or not talk to them. Now, you just saw my husband stand up. What a lovely man he is. When I first saw him, uh, I had a different opinion about him. He was this very quiet, reserved Chinese fellow that had uh come into the fellowship that I was in at the time. And uh and I thought to myself, I don't think I should talk to him at all. Um, because I thought oh I would truly offend him because I was really, you know, loud, hugging everyone, you know, laughing, and he was this very quiet, sophisticated, reserved, got it all together. Young man <laughs> in the back row. In fact, I was trying to matchmake him with the with the girl that I shared a house with at the time. I thought they will really hit it off. Boy, are my matchmaking skills really lousy. Obviously, we started chatting, and that was that's that's the uh, that's history, as they say. And uh, things changed because I got to know him. I got to know what he was like, and I saw his heart that was passionate for God and uh that that drew me in and it changed the way I I connected with him and what I wanted to do around him. And that can also happen in terms of how we think about God. You know it's really it's really important to just consider, you know, how do you view and how do you think about God because what you think about him will impact how you relate with him, what you'll do ...for him and how you will do that. How we think our theology is really important. Sometimes that where theology can be a bit off-putting. Um, I know when I first became a Christian, I thought, if it's in the Bible, I believe it, that's it, that's good enough for me. Um, and then I went off to Bible college and started studying. And, and as I looked at the backstory and the richness of really delving in, it was, wow, this is so enriching and so wonderful... I remember reading a theologian called Karl Barth, and he was a bit of a man before his time, but he said, Doing theology is worship. And I thought, Wow, that is so spot on. And you know, when you read some some stuff that people have written, sometimes I get so immersed, you know, in, in the spirit and what God's saying. I just I, I stop reading and I start worshiping. And uh I think, wow, this is so good, but wow. It's going to take me a long time to get through this book. <laughs> so it's great that, you know, with VCA, with Vineyard, you know, there's great opportunities to get studying in small ways, big ways. And I'd really encourage you to do that. You know, maybe it's not something you thought about before. But um, it's great. It's great for your relationship with God because you start to see who he's really like. And it's pretty awesome. So our theology and how we think about God really is important. Uh, in the vineyard, obviously, one of the key theologies we have is the kingdom of God. Which, so we believe that you know God's generous rule can break into our present time at any moment, and it's because of that that impacts who we are. So we'll pray. We will step into that space with anticipation, expectation that yeah, God can show up, and I'm believing He will because He because He is so good and so generous. So. It's so, so how we understand God to be is of maximum importance because if we can get that right, if we can get our thoughts right and get ourselves in alignment with who he is, then we're, we're going to be more confident that what we're going to do is going to be more in alignment with his purposes for us. So the big question is, who do you believe God to be? You know, in Australia, when people are polled, often they'll say that they are very spiritual. They'll believe in a God. And it might be a, who, who is that God? Could be a higher power. Often people will pray to God, whoever they deem him to be, when they're in difficult circumstances. Um, but uh, who do they really think him to be? For us as Christians, we believe that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we call the Trinity. Um, So that is the biblical and Christian uh, understanding of who God is. And others who are religious um, don't necessarily believe that. So Muslims, Christadelphians, uh, JWs, Baha'i faith, Hindus, example, don't believe God in that way. It can be confusing. I know we've got some... Uh, new Christians coming to our fellowship who are from mainland China and they're hearing about God and what it means to be a Christian. And then they say, oh, but, you know, we've just been, you know, someone came up to us on the street and, and you know, they're the Mormons are in town and they're talking to them or the JWs uh, JWs have come to their door, you know, aren't they all the same? And uh, when people have come to faith, it's really, and they're new, it's good to really point that out because, you know, often it can be confusing and they can be led astray. So we need to be really clear uh, for ourselves what it is that we believe. So the word Trinity, of course, doesn't actually appear anywhere in your Bible. Uh, It's a doctrine that appeared in about the third century and it came about by necessity because there were a lot of heresies circulating at that time saying that Jesus wasn't really God and so they really wanted to be crystal clear about what they were saying, professing to be, what they believed as Christians. And we've kept it going ever since. That word doctrine, too, is another word is that we think, ugh, don't like doctrines. It all sounds a bit legalistic and yucky and, you know, not very organic. Um, but, you know, that word basically is our human attempt to try and understand something or someone that is far higher and greater you know, our infinite, wonderful, multi-dimensional, multi-faceted God uh, and we're trying to understand him with our finite minds. And so we'll come up with our doctrines that do our best, our our best attempt to encapsulate what we can understand him to be. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, this side of eternity we're only going to know in part until Jesus appears and then we'll fully know so we do, we, we always do our best attempts and, and God has certainly shown us much of who He is through Jesus Christ. You know, we might not know it all, but the upside is, of that, is that there's always more to know. There's always more to experience in God, which is awesome and beautiful. We can always press in and expect more. Oh, I've got my clicker here. So, we do have some biblical, um, uh, um what's the word I'm looking for? Co- yeah, confirmation. Of, yeah, you know, you've sort of phased out a bit. So there you go. Something to help us to realise, yes, that the Trinity is a thing. I'm very organic. <laughs> so back in Genesis at the beginning, we have a Genesis 1 where obviously God says he wants to create and create humanity and he refers to himself as our. So we can see there's a plurality within the Godhead um, and uh, that he made uh, God, created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And also at Jesus' baptism, we see all three coming out. We have Jesus being baptised, the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice, Father God speaking uh, that he is well pleased with his Son. So some good undeniable um, affirmation there about the Trinity. In this picture it also affirms uh, a bit more about the Trinitarian idea is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, they're not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not the Son or the Father. So some people have have thought that God, we see him in the Old Testament as the Father, then he'll reappear suddenly in the New Testament as the Son and now he's here by the Holy Spirit. So that's actually not true. Um, but they all coexist at the same time and they are distinctly themselves. They're not uh, clones or a version of the other, but they are who they are. So I guess the question is, well, how can that be and how do they really relate? Um, so many centuries ago in the 6th century, they came up with a word called perichoresis, and I don't, I'm not into Greek or making things sound difficult, but it's, it's, it's quite a cool word and it's helped really bring the Trinity um, up into a place where we can really relate to it. That word perichoresis basically means to be intertwined, interwoven, interpenetrated. So there's this beautiful merging uh, of the persons of the Trinity to, with one another. Um, that same word was actually used to describe Jesus, because we know he's fully God and fully man. You kind of think, well, how on earth can that be? So that word perichoresis was also used to help understand this beautiful intertwining of divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ. So we see it used to help us understand who the Trinity is. So from all eternity, the Trinity interwoven and interpenetrated. So we cannot think or speak of persons such as the Father without having to also think and speak of the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a constant interchange within this relationship. There's a giving to and a receiving one from another of love and life and freedom to be their distinct selves. So there's this beautiful inpouring to one another, of always lifting the other up. That you, you know, you're the man. No, you're the man. You're the man. Going on for all eternity, loving, glor- bringing glory to one another. There's some wonderful scriptures to highlight that. So the God the Father is uh, seen in Hebrews one eighteen. So God the Father is saying about the Son, Your throne, O God. So God the Father is ta- saying to Jesus, You're God. Your God to me will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So here we see God the Father lifting up Jesus. Man, you're awesome. I love you, Jesus. You're God. In Jesus we see... Him, of course, we always see him glorifying the Father. So in John 5, we we see him saying, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He just loves his Father. In, In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father, hallowed be your name. You're holy and good and so beautiful and great. And Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So we see the Holy Spirit also bringing glory to Jesus. So we know God as one because of their unity. They're so united that it reflects, it's reflected in their oneness. So we are monotheists. We, are, we believe in one God and they are so, they're one because of this beautiful unity that exists between them. They have the characteristics of their relationship too is that they share the same passions and goals. They are interdependent so they are distinctly distinctly themselves but they're all, all forever intertwined and working with one another. They're fully exposed to one another. There's nothing hidden. There's this beautiful transparency and intimacy that they share. There's a lovely equality too there's no I'm, I'm better than you or um, I'm one's higher than the other, but there's a con- continual lifting of the other up and a beautiful equality. There's equality amongst them because all of them have equally existed before time e- and equally are divine. There's no subordination. No one is seen to be under the other, but they're forever lifting each other up and willingly love and prefer the the other. It's important, too, that they never merge or become the other, but they're always distinct. They're not clones of one another, but they give each other the freedom to be who they are. They share the same essence, the heart, goal, passion... But we'll see it carried out in different ways. So John 3.16, we see the love of the Father for the world. For God so loved the world. And then the Son came to bring that love that he sent the Son and the Son willingly came. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? To bring love, to, to bring healing and deliverance and to ultimately go to the cross. So we see the, the Trinitarian relationship in full swing in that verse but we see it being played out in different ways. There have been lots of analogies to um, our human attempt to try and describe who God is and analogies are great because they help us to manipulate um, an idea so that we can understand aspects of it more but analogies are always limited because we can't take it to the nth degree. We can only see partially some truth from it. One analogy that went through the ages were um, something like this, three books that might look all the same, Um, but no matter how hard I push on those, there will never be one book. There will always be three books. And as these books read each other and they're fully exposed to one another, they'll actually start to... To, to, to say the same thing as you read them, but they'll all say them in their own different way. And uh, another... But that kind of analogy to me is a bit static. You know, three books is a bit dead. But it does say something about their distinctiveness of personality. Another, another analogy and il- illustration that really took hold through the centuries is the one of the divine dance... And uh, you might have heard that one. And there's this beautiful um, uh, statue, and I really don't know where it is. I didn't pay attention when I saw that picture, um, but I think it's really beautiful. And in a, in the divine dance, uh, there's only this there's this beautiful movement of reciprocal giving and receiving of love and life to one another. Um, and in the in the dance of three, there are no leaders. Or followers but all um, beautifully moving together and it's and it is as they weave among themselves a bond of love so intimate and strong that they are a single God And another lovely picture too here that they they're so united um, the Trinity that when you see one, in a story or as you read the Bible, all three are actually at play. Because of their perichoretic union, wherever one person is, the other two are always there as well. And we, and we remember that Jesus, um, when he spoke to his disciples, he was saying to Philip, "'Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you "'such a long time, because anyone who has seen me "'has seen the Father.'" How can you say, show us the Father? And in John 14, he said, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? And we know Jesus was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So all three were at play. Life in the Godhead is beautiful, it's complete, it's full, it's free and that has always been from all eternity to all eternity. So God, our triune God, wants for nothing. He is already full and complete, full of love and life and freedom. And it's from this place, this beautiful place of fullness of love and fullness of life, that the trying God created everything that we see. And out of love that he created humanity and you and me. It's out of the overflow of his love and the overflow of his life that he creates. So God didn't create us to satisfy some deep need within himself, but he created out of freedom and love so that all creation could share in this same freedom and love. That's what he wants for us. He didn't create us so that he'd have people to come and worship him. But he's actually created us that we would in turn also experience this beautiful love and relationship that he has always known and always will know. I guess we could see the this played out in a human way through the love of a husband and wife. The overflow of their relationship and love brings a child into the world. And they don't bring that child to... You know, to, to, to force them to, to love them or, but it's out of the overflow. They want to pour their love into that child and they marvel and delight at what has come forth, um, which is so beautiful. So, so what? So what are the implications for us, um, in, in, uh, knowing what I've been talking about, the trying God that is so beautiful and shares the same passion. There's another great um, picture that I came across, a bit more medieval, and it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And we see Jesus there and the Holy Spirit as a dove on, his, on the top of the cross and the Father behind him. So, if we understand then that, that, that the Trinity is always this beautiful interwoven relationship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that uh, they're always together. So, at the crucifixion, they were all there. So, with that we can see, sometimes we might feel that the Father is aloof and standoffish. You know, when we come to the Lord, we we, we, we read about Jesus, we can relate to Jesus, but... Who is God the Father? You know, He could, He seems to be distant and unapproachable. But actually the opposite, opposite is true. Um, Because of the unity with the Trinity, um, at the cross, all three experienced grief and pain, albeit differently. Uh, Jesus was the only one who suffered physically. Yet because of their interconnectedness, they all experienced the pain of sin and the grief of that. So we can be really reassured that God knows our pain. He knows your pain. All of God knows who you are right now. Uh, And he's present in them. He's not a far-off God. He's not aloof, but he's keenly interested in all of who you are. And some of you might be thinking, but wait on a minute. When Jesus was on the cross, he said... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it would seem, well, how how could the Father have been there? Jesus certainly didn't think he was. In 1 John 2, it talks about those who walk in sin walk in darkness and are blinded by the darkness. So when we're in sin, God hates us being in sin and the reason for it is because we're blinded to the absolute truth that he is everywhere around us, that his goodness is wanting to press in, but we can't see it. And he hates that because he's made us for life in him. So for Jesus, for that moment, he, was, he had the whole weight of sin of all world for all time on him. And he was in darkness. So for the first time... He experienced what we experience when we're in sin, that we can't see the Father. For all eternity, this is the first time he experienced that. And at that moment, how distressing would that have been? My God, where are you? I'm always with you and I'm not here in this place because we were all made to be in that constant interconnectedness with our beautiful God who created us for love and for life. In John 3.16, we see the beautiful heart of the trying God, that God so loved the world that they all share the same passion to come and to bring life. So our God is not a God that wants to bring condemnation, but fullness of life that Jesus spoke about in John 10.10. So we can trust all of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that all of them want to bring you into a greater revelation of who he is and a greater experience of his abundant life for you. Another important thing is is that when we see Jesus, we see God in his fullness. So in that respect, we don't have to worry about a God that we haven't met yet. Some might think, Jesus, I can relate to you, but, oh, God the Father, you know, he might just be standing around the corner next time I go around that away to get me. Sometimes we might think that too if we've had a difficult upbringing with our own fathers, you know. But um, the God who revealed to us in Jesus is not different to the God we cannot see. We are not in for some scary surprises because God is consistent within himself. God doesn't contradict himself. When we see Jesus, we see God as he actually is. Albeit there will be uh, aspects of God that remain a mystery. As we said, we don't know it all. But just like with any person, can we really fully know Anyone? There's always aspects that we won't know, and the same is with God. We can also be sure and confident about the work of the Holy Spirit as well. I know when I came to the Lord, I was in a a denomination that uh, didn't really speak about the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't all too sure about that. But uh, as Jesus said in, in John 14, he said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever. And that word another means just like me. Another just like me. So he's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Holy Spirit. So how awesome is that? You know, as we see Jesus going around loving on people, healing, that's the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? Jesus said in John 17... In his prayer for us, uh, just before he was crucified, he said, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us. So the whole goal, whole passion of God is that we would be in him. And the awesome thing is that through this perichoretic understanding and the life of the Trinity, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ... Where is Jesus? But within the Godhead. He's within the triune God. So in Jesus, we are brought up into the beautiful triune life of God. How beautiful and wonderful is that? In Ephesians 2.6, it says, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So it's a sure thing. You're in God. You're in the life of God. You're, you're made to experience the life of God. Awesome stuff. So what's the implication of that? This means now that just as Jesus knew that he was beautifully loved by the Father and enjoyed intimacy with the Father, heard, heard words of affirmation from him, And that his whole security and significance was rooted in his relationship with his father. We too, as we're included in Christ, can experience this reality also. Jesus came so that we can be included in the circle of that fiery love that exists within the Triune God. How awesome, Lord. We thank you so much. So rather than being passive observers of this dynamic trinity, we are in fact drawn into and invited to actively participate with God. We are invited into and caught up in this beautiful divine dance that we can just continue on for all of eternity. Woo! Yes, thank you, Lord. I'm ready. Woo! Woo! That's right. It's good. This is a great quote that I just have to tell you as well. You know, God's goal is for all humanity to be sanctified and brought into glory with him. Amen. God desires that we enter fully into a life of love and communion with God and with one another. The life of God is not something that belongs to God alone. Wow, isn't he beautiful? But the Trinitarian life is also our life. The doctrine of the Trinity is not ultimately a teaching about God, but a teaching about God's life with us and our life with each other. It's the life of communion and indwelling God in us, we in God and all of us in it with each other together. Amen. Because if if I'm included in, in God... And you're included in God. We're in this together. We're all in this together. You know, so when you look at your brother and sister, look at them with great love, you know, because God has considered them worthy to be brought up into the life and the love of God. You know, we we were praying for the brothers and sisters in in the Uniting Church. They're in there with us together. You know, let's keep praying love on the greater church, because we are all in this together. We're approaching 11.30, so I will... We're on it, actually. Let me try and bring this into land, as they say. So what does it mean to be human? You know, it actually means that um, if we look and we made in the image of the trying God, <clears throat> and they're in this fantastic relationship... We, too, are made for fantastic relationships. Uh, We are made so that we can actually have a beautiful transparency and openness with one another, Uh, a a relationship without competition or or comparison, but this beautiful continual lifting up of one another. Mutual submission, we just want to come under and lift up. you know, it's as we relate to one another too, we truly know who we are. So, you know, the father wouldn't be the father without the son, would he? Because you need to have a, fa- you need to father someone. The son isn't the son without the father. So it's as we immerse ourselves in God and his community that, you know, people can start to say, Hey, I can really see this in you and really call out the gifting and the person that you are. So you might be a person that might like to hide away a bit. And, it's, and that's good too. We all need to have our alone time. But if you find you're doing that a lot, you know, you actually weren't made for that. So, you know, ask God, what is that about? You know, is there something you want to say to me or retweak or heal or or whatever in terms of that? You know, day, this day and age, it, they always say, you know, stand out, be on your own, you know, be an indi- be individual. But actually, you no, know, you c- that doesn't work. You're actually who you really are in community. I'm going to flick through this one real quick. Who we are and are becoming, we're all in process. We haven't arrived, so that's always good. We're meant to be relational. We're in Christ so we can be secure, significant and set free to love. So we don't go into relationships to get that. We already get that from being included in, in Christ and the trying God. And in him now we're set free in our relationships to bring love to others. Uh, for healthy relationships, to be authentic, to be real, to be set free to be and free to enjoy the dance. Woo! In terms of church too, you know, we can think about how does that relate to church and doing church. Um, there are some churches that you might find a lot of domination and hierarchy Um Thankfully, within the vineyard, we don't, we don't have that. Uh, and in the Triangle, we can see this beautiful equality where uh, there is, there's no sense of competition or comparison, but everyone is free to be who they are. And so within God's family, we want to see healthy structures where it's a community of, of, of men and women without inferiors, without superiors, that are just wanting to get on with the job of God's kingdom, who are wanting to see everyone flourish and to live in the freedom of who they've been created to be. The great thing about Vineyard is that everyone gets to play. It's not just for the elite few doing ministry, but we're all included, which is fantastic. And our motivation for mission comes from understanding that this beautiful God has always wanted to bring people into life. A mission has always started in God. God sent the Father and uh, he keeps sending us now by his Holy Spirit to invite others into this beautiful dance of love that has continued before creation and will always continue in our beautiful God. So our response will be our life full of worship To the Lord. We know today, God really, we can really know that God loves me. Oh, well done. He does, he certainly does. Bless you. We can know that God is near, He that he understands all of who we are and our circumstances and he has compassion, he feels our pain. You know, when we realise that, when we come into worship, you know, our our worship can just take on a whole new vibrancy because of that. We can know that uh, we're worthy and loved because we've been included into the triune Lord. Each of us has been deemed worthy. We're God's kid. Just as Jesus was the son, we're all brought into sonship, all brought in to be Sons and daughters of the most high God. We can have a deep relationship with our Father. We can trust him for everything and know that he truly cares. We can know that we can have a great life right now. We can start that dance right this moment and continue it forever and uh, know that God is in us, with us and for us. That ministry and mission for us now become the overflow of our life in God as we join in God's divine dance in this dark world to invite others to come and join in the dance with us. Amen. How awesome is our God. Woo! He's awesome! Ah! Would you just stand with me? Should we just invite the Holy Spirit to come? Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, God, that you are so wonderfully beautiful and awesome. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, would you just come? We invite you to come now, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your presence amongst us. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, would you just come now and reveal the beauty of God to us and your presence with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the joy that you have brought to this place, this community. We thank you, Lord. Lord, for those that might be struggling this morning with their own sense of worth, Would you just embrace them now with your love and reassure them that you have brought them into the triune life of God, that that's a sure thing and not to be questioned. They can take that one to the bank. They can stand on that. That's that's real and sure. Thank you, Lord. Would you cement that into their minds, Lord, that they would be transformed? Thank you, Lord. Father, I ask too that you would just melt away any fears this morning, anything that might be holding us back, Lord, in terms of doing what you are calling us to do, Lord. Would you just melt away fear now in Jesus' name? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank We thank you for this beautiful dance, that beautiful life that we've called in, such fullness and richness, Lord. We thank you that we have joy in the Holy Spirit. Would you release a greater sense of joy in us today because you're beautiful and awesome. You're so willing to do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He and Thank you, Jesus.